Please put hey. a thumb in the air. the Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. Fam, unfortunately, the offseason has begun for yours, mine, and our Philadelphia Flyers. The Stanley Cup playoffs are still underway, but fuck all that. Uh, let's just get down to it. My name's Bill Matt, I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. It's a, it, was a, it was a tough end to the season, what can you say? But we're all here to talk about it and talk about what is next, so let's get down to it. Let's lead things off with... The fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I just want you guys all to know that I'm at peace now. I've gone through the seven stages of grief, or however many stages there are. I, I, okay. I can't say I thought they were going to get as thoroughly dominated in Game 7 as they were, yeah. but you kind of saw the way it was going, and once they fought back and tied it, I was like, this is all I can realistically expect from the team that isn't as good clearly in this series. So I guess I am at peace as well. I mean, I'm not quite at peace, but eh. just because it was so ugly, and I hated, I hated both of the series that they played in. But you should have got rip roaring drunk and had a fantasy draft before Game Seven. <laughs> that would have really helped you. Stay. Yeah, yeah, Bill. It, it kind of cracked me up. There was literally a person in my comment section after I wrote my column after Game Seven that was like. Hey, is Bill okay? He didn't do his post-game show. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I it think was, he's fine. I was like gonna do it, and then my, I was Ava was like, "You can't put sentences together." <laughs> and that voice, I'm glad you, that you have that voice of reason in your life. <laughs> she's like, "This is your job, and as much as you shouldn't miss it because you're drunk, you're too drunk to do it." I was like, "All right, <laughs> fair enough." And uh, that that person who was, uh, you know, responding to comments about me being okay, that was Charlie O'Connor from TheAthletic.com. Hey, everybody. Uh, one thing I will say, and I'm certainly missing Flyers hockey. Uh, it would be nice if they were in the conference final. That'd be cool. Uh, one thing I will say that has been, and I understand why the NHL is doing it. You know, it's, it's for money reasons, to try to get through it as quick as possible. But, like... The schedule that they've had all these teams do and just how much they're clearly trying to race through this as quickly as possible, like, it's exhausting just to a writer. And I have to say, like, it must be killing these players. Because, like, the the fact that the Islanders had to do a Game 7 on, um, what was it, Saturday when Game 7 was, fly to Edmonton and then play Game 1 on Monday, like, there was no way they were winning that game. And it's crazy to me that the NHL is just like, yeah, we're just trying to rush through this. So if, if they die, they die. Like, I, underst- <laughs> I, I understand that, like, obviously, you know, there's a pandemic going on. You're trying to get through this as quick as possible. And the financial cost of housing everyone in the bubble is ridiculously high. So I understand them trying to get through this, like, really quickly. But, man, like, there is, like, no mercy from a schedule standpoint for these players right now. 
No, and with Tampa wrapping up as quickly as they did against Boston, and they're clearly, you know, probably the most talented team and very much motivated to make up for last year's embarrassment. Like, that was just a... I don't think the Islanders have much of a chance in this series, but they had zero chance in that game, and it showed pretty early on. Yeah, I was talking to my site manager for the Dallas Stars over at Defending Big D last night, and she's just completely exhausted because it's been such a frantic pace. Like, they were done with the second round on, what, Friday, Saturday? Friday. I don't remember, but then they started right again on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been it's been nuts, and I I mean I can only imagine how these players are feeling. And that was Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Yeah, so uh, the cup doesn't matter this year, so it's really fine that <laughs> the Flyers have been eliminated because mm-hmm. the cup just doesn't matter this year. And so you're saying since we don't get a parade, it doesn't count? No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with the parade. <laughs> it has everything to do with the four months off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's as we discussed before all this started. If the Flyers won, then it would have been perfectly meaningful and legitimate, and everyone should should acknowledge that the Flyers are the best. That the Flyers didn't win, now it's an asterisk, and it doesn't matter. Now it means nothing. Even though the Golden Knights are going to win their first cup this year, it's fine. They'll win more. It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. We're going to do some some ice sport if there's time at the end. Uh, Just talk about... The rest of the uh, the rest of the final four in these conference finals and everything, but these playoffs have been wacky, man. But they're I, they're wild, I and, are, and they always are. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs. We never get the two best teams. The gods refuse to give us the two best teams, but we could possibly get something close to it. Uh, but I've already moved on. I I just hold on before the show started. I took four pieces of Bears rawhide away from him. Right, I've got them collected next to me. You guys saw me do it. He he just walked in with a, a fifth piece, and I have no idea where. It He's came smarter from. than you. Mm-hmm. He's so much smarter than me. He hides these things all over the house, and it's always astonishing. I just needed to say that out loud because I was cracking up. I don't know if it came through on the audio. I have uh, I have moved on from the playoffs and just thought about what the Flyers need to do next in order to put themselves more securely amongst this top tier of teams. And uh, I just want to know where these Johnny Goudreau rumors have come from. Like, the sky. Like, is it just wishful thinking? I know, like, Calgary's kind of a disappointment, and Goudreau is, you know, the embodiment of that disappointment to some of their fans. So it's always like he's getting traded. Is, is this, like, a real thing? I mean, they hate him there. They absolutely hate him in Calgary, so... I don't think that there's any truth to the rumors. I don't even know what rumors you're talking about. So I, I just kept seeing Johnny Goudreau on Twitter all day yesterday, and I haven't mm-hmm. been on Twitter in quite a while. I've been, like, deleting it from my phone for days at a time because it's such a terrible place, and <laughs> I don't always know where things start now because I'm not constantly logged on. And I too. just kept seeing Johnny Goudreau in the Flyers yesterday, and I don't know why. So, Tan... To answer your question, the reason why is because there are rumblings that, like, Calgary isn't in love with Johnny Goudreau, and he only has a couple years left on his contract, and it's like, well, this is the right time to trade him if they want to do a shakeup. So, like, that's where that stems from. Now, why it's all over Flyers Twitter, it's because Flyers Twitter is insane. We're obsessed. And we're we're basically – 
we lost the playoff series, so then it becomes what gigantic move can we make? And in fairness, like the reason why a Goudreau trade makes some sense for the Flyers is because there's a feeling of the team that trades for him is going to obviously want to re-sign him past this current contract, and there's an understandable assumption that Johnny Goudreau would want to re-sign with the Flyers because he said on multiple occasions that he'd love to play for the Flyers at some point in his career because he's South Jersey native Johnny Goudreau and all that bullshit. <laughs> so, like, it's, I think it's a combination of it being possible that he could be pried away, Flyers fans desperately wanting a star because they're pissed at the way the Stars played in this series, not the Dallas Stars, but the Flyers Stars, and Goudreau making some logical sense because presumably he would not mind re-signing in Philadelphia as compared to some other teams that might be interested in trading for him but be skeptical that he would actually want to stay with them past this contract. All right. Because I like, I wouldn't hate it. I agree that this team needs one more top end player, uh, regardless of position, as long as it's not goaltender. I think they need one elite player. Uh, I I'd love Johnny Goudreau on this team. I just don't think he solves all their issues. Like excluding one excellent thirty six goal ninety nine point season in twenty eighteen nineteen, Johnny's goal totals are twenty four thirty. 18, 24, and 18 this year on pace for about 21. He's not the, uh, you know, goal-scoring machine that we kind of want here. He's not that sniper who's going to take over a game and create his own two-goal scenario. I, I just, like, he hasn't had a ton of playoff success either. I think Kelly put out yesterday it would take less than one season for half of the fan base to turn on him. I don't know about turn on him, but we'd be fucking annoyed with him quite a bit. Charlie said two months, which I thought was actually He's like generous. if you put if if TK played more like Jake, you know? <laughs> like yeah. who the fuck would be more frustrating than that? We would hate him here. And also, like you said, like I don't first of all We need a center when they talk well yeah, but when they talk about wanting like a goal scoring sniper in their head. All they want is Alex Ovechkin, like yes. somebody who's just going to pot goal after goal after goal after goal. Like that guy doesn't exist, and Flyer Twitter is obsessed with us getting this phantom player that isn't real. Um, so I guess You're Johnny totally Goudreau. Right. Yeah, like is, that's is the thing is, I would love David Pasternak, but I don't have twelve and a half million dollars. Nor are the Boston Bruins going to be parting with him anytime soon. So we're in full offseason mode. Yeah, and Flyer. All right, so I just wanted to know, and I had some thoughts, because, like, I am a proponent of, of Johnny Goudreau. I'm a big fan. I would love him here. I just think that doesn't solve all their problems, and is it real? I, I didn't— How much is he making? It's not uh, a ton. He's, he's on a relatively cheap deal. I think it's, like, high sixes, but obviously when this deal expires, he's going to want a lot more. Yeah. Well, that's still way too much to plop him on the third line, so nope. No, if you trade for Goudreau, he's a first-line player. I mean, that's what he is. Yeah, and and let's look at our first line. Like, even our top two lines, there's no room for him here. No, nah, there's room. Uh, well, because you're getting rid of Jake, I assume. No, I'm just saying, like, you can move guys down. I Who, like, you know. Be, be better and you, you get to keep your place. Don't and get moved down. All right, so we wrapped up a last show categorizing the Flyers' season. There were a lot of fun answers. I believe Steph called it a clusterfuck. Uh, Kelly called that it a, like a disappointing me. success. I called it a lot. Charlie said something about getting our hopes up. 
Uh, I would like to know, and when we made these categorizations, the Flyers were trailing 3-1 in the series to the Islanders. So they fought back to win a couple of overtime games, and that was fun. They tied the series. They were thoroughly dominated in Game 7. Would anyone like to amend their uh, their categorization of the Philadelphia Flyers 2019-20 season? I think I called them a hopeful clusterfuck. Hopeful clusterfuck. That, yes, that makes sense. And I think that that's I I'd stick with that. Yeah, I'm sticking with it too. A disappointing success. Yeah, because I goddamn was that game seven. God, it sucked so much. It was just it was the worst possible scenario. Yeah, I just I think the way I put it in my post game column was just that this feels like a missed opportunity. Like I don't think I don't think this season was a failure by any means. Um, you know, I think it's especially based on the preseason expectations and where the Flyers stood before the season started. The Flyers took massive strides, and the season should be looked at. I think you know, in a couple months, we'll probably look at the season fondly. But it does feel like this was a chance. And, you know, Chuck Fletcher made a point after the first series. I asked him basically this very question, which was, you know, when you guys have already achieved your reasonable goals, you know, what happens now? You know, how do you keep yourself motivated in a sense, you know, to to go further than what was reasonably expected? And he basically said, look, like we think we're well positioned for the future, but you never know how many cracks of this you're going to get. So when you have a crack at it, you don't want to, you, we want to take advantage of it. You want to, you know, maximize just how much you can do with every opportunity. And I think what's disappointing about this playoff run is I don't think the flyers maximize what they could have done with this opportunity. And that sucks. I think they're going to have a lot more opportunities and that's great, but this opportunity, they could have done better and they didn't. And that's disappointing. Like a, and, you know, the done better could have been winning one more game. Like, yeah. that's it. You're, the win one more game, as bad as they played against the Islanders, win one more and you're in the conference final. You are one of the final four teams remaining in the league. Uh, but watching Tampa, watching Tampa in that game uh. one, um, one more game might have been all they got. Like, yeah. I, I realize getting to the conference final is a big deal, and if you're there, you have a chance but I don't know. Did they really have a shot then? I, I had I had Tampa. Like I was talking to uh, Garrick sixteen Josh, who's an Islanders writer. Not even I don't even think he writes anymore. He's basically just a tweeter now. But he used to be a stack <laughs> guy. He used to be on hockey graphs, and I picked the the Lightning to win the series against the Islanders. And he kind of like gave me a little shit. And I said, look, in all fairness, if the Flyers had won the, the Islanders series, I would have picked Tampa too. Like yeah. I oh I always had in my mind like I know you guys were they're gonna win the cup and I thought they had a shot but I always had in my mind that this run was coming to an end for me in the conference finals so maybe that's why I'm not as crushed because I always thought that this team's ceiling unless they got really lucky and you know Carter Hart stood on his head and you know one of the star players just had an RJ Umberger series I always thought that the conference final was as far as they were going to go, or at least as far as I could reasonably have hoped they were going to go. Um, but it sucks that they didn't win Game 7, because that, that would have been nice if they could have gotten there. I, I, I need to, and I know that everybody knows how just fucky this postseason was, but I need to point out again, like it was just so... Weird. They took four months off, and then they did a two-week training camp, and then they all just packed up their shit 
and left to go live in a hotel for two months. Away from their families, they were getting rods shoved up their noses every day. Like, it was just... I, I don't necessarily blame the Flyers for the way that it went. It was just the... Everybody. Every team. It was just the weirdest situation. It, should they have scored more goals? Yeah. Like, they could have won one game by scoring one more goal. Like... Could that have, should that have happened? Yeah. Did the top guys completely disappear? Yep. But it was such a weird situation to begin with that, you know, they won a series. That's what we wanted when we went into this season. They they won a series. They accomplished my preseason goals, and I am proud of them for that. Uh, I will say, like, as weird as it was, really good chance Tampa's going to the Stanley Cup final really good chance Vegas is going to the Stanley Cup final those are two elite teams that it doesn't seem to have bothered yeah everyone had the same year yeah so I'm not no I said I said that every team but but I know but like I I blame the Flyers for for shitting the bed like I'm not gonna let that be the reason that I'm like oh well it's fine like no one thing I will say Bill is that you know you kind of mentioned that Tampa and Vegas, they are doing what they are supposed to do, and that's true. I will say that, like, some teams didn't, you know. And I'll, oh, I'll give, sure. I'll, I'll give the Avs a pass because they were hurt. You know, that's probably why they lost that series. But, like, St. Louis won the Cup last year. They lost in the first round. Pittsburgh didn't even get out of the play-in round. Like, Washington didn't, <laughs> didn't show up. Wait, say that slower. Pittsburgh didn't even get out of the play-in round. Pittsburgh yeah, I know. didn't it's even just... get out of the play-in round. But, like, what I'm saying is that, yeah, it didn't seem to dramatically negatively affect Tampa and Vegas, but there were other teams that could reasonably consider to be, be considered to be elite that it did affect. And, and those it, teams— it, it, it just, it's, it's tough to say because, like, you just this, in, this impacted every team differently, and clearly it impacted the Flyers, especially their high-end players from, a, you know, from an ability-to-make-plays standpoint. All those— Which te- is super annoying. Like, I'm not giving them a pass— they just forgot how to play hockey. It's so annoying that they forgot how to play hockey. <laughs> like, and this, these two, I will never forget the series against Montreal, the series against the Islanders, because they sucked so bad, it, it, it destroyed my will to live. It made me hate the NHL playoffs, and that should never happen. See, I, like, I think what they did against Montreal was really smart. I think they deliberately played a certain way. But then when they needed to open it up against the Islanders, it was not there. See, I I don't, I, I don't totally agree with that line of thinking. I think that I think that they played the way they played against Montreal because the coaching staff realized that the top guns weren't clicking. I think it was I think they would have much preferred to just run Montreal into the ground playing their normal style and I think that's kind of what they tried to do the first couple games and then they got blown out 5 nothing and it was like shit okay, we can't win that way because our top-end guys are shitting the bed, so let's just muck it up. And I think there was always a hope that at some point they would be able to get back to the way they ideally wanted to play, and the high-end guys just never got it going. So you didn't really have a choice. Like, they obviously tried to do more skill plays in the Islander series. They tried hitting on stretch passes. You know, they tried playing a more transition-oriented game, but they couldn't do it. Because they were missing on all the passes. Like, like so <laughs> Where did it go? Like, why I did they know. suddenly become a bad team? That's what I don't get. Because 
they had the round robin and they were good. So it's not like it was just like after the pause they sucked. Like they played that well. Fucking round robin. I'm so mad about the round robin because they looked good. <laughs> so and good. That got my hopes up. I'm so mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting. It, it it's interesting to think like how we would have felt about going to the second round and losing in game seven how that would have felt had they not gotten the top seed different definitely different yeah and and i don't know by what degree but definitely different like because it just felt like understandably expectations went through the roof after they won the round robin especially coming after the way they finished the season because it allowed everyone to think they were just picking up right where they left off and at the time it seemed like they were i guess you know maybe we put too much stock in three games that were a couple of them at least were against teams that were clearly not anywhere near their best yeah all right no totally and i'm i i loved this this whole playoff format the from the the round robin and the play-in games to you know what we're looking at now i i really enjoyed that but I now hate it because it it fucked with my brain. If they had come out, if they had come out looking like the way that they played in these two series, my expectations would have been completely different. So let's talk about that Islanders series and really put a bow on it because we haven't spoken since the uh, since they were down three one and they did you know come back and win a couple of overtime games and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but so in the in all situations, they were outscored 24 to 16. Uh, the shots were 236, 204. The actual shot attempts were kind of even. The unblocked attempts, the number I have here, I don't think is right, but the Isles had a, a definite advantage there. Scoring chances, Isles all day. High danger chances, Isles not even close. At any point in this series, for longer than like. A five or ten minute stretch. Did you think the Flyers were a better team than the Islanders? No, not. I don't nope. even think I had a five or ten minute stretch. To be honest with you, from the yeah, jump, same. It was like, how how are the Islanders beating us? Like I know the Islanders have had Philly's number this year, and they've been a thorn in their side for a couple of years. But fuck, are they this much better? No, that's the thing that's annoying. They're not right. They're not. Like they shouldn't be. Oh, well, I mean. The results say differently. I do I, think yeah. I do think that you're you're going a bit too far. Like there were extended periods of this series when the Flyers were the better team. Like even dating back to game one when they kicked the shit out of the Islanders in the second period of a game that they lost for nothing. They just didn't score and it sucked. But like I don't think that this was a start so to finish. So for two thirds of the game, they didn't kick the shit out of them. Well, yeah, but like you're saying that, well, with the exception of like five or ten minutes, they didn't look like the better team. Like, no, they played well for long stretches of this series. It's just obviously the Islanders played better longer. Like and that's five, a big ten reason minutes why they, at a time, they they looked okay. Sometimes I wouldn't even say okay. I would say for five, ten minutes at a time, they looked really good. But didn't score. Or they did score. Or I mean, there, I mean, there, there were periods where they took leads, and then they were they proceeded and then to then immediately blows. squandered them. Well, yeah, yeah but like, I, there's I, I think there's a feeling among Flyers fans like we sucked in the series. Like we didn't they didn't play well, but like it wasn't as if if they would have gotten dominated, 
this series wouldn't have went seven. Sorry, it wouldn't have. I mean, okay. Did, lucky. did Vancouver not get dominated? Yeah. Vancouver but, got dominated, but, right? Y- yeah, but, like, Thatcher Demko also stopped, what, like, 80 shots in a row? Okay. So, like, it's possible. It's possible, but Carter Hart and wasn't otherworldly. And Vancouver was a lot faster and a lot more fun. Also, <laughs> also Carter Hart wasn't otherworldly in this series. He was good. Oh. He wasn't otherworldly like Thatcher Demko was when he came in. I just, I, I, I feel like this, there's, there's, this this is the series is getting retroactively determined to be this like blowout pathetic disaster when in reality Flyers played pretty well for very long stretches of the series. I don't Again, remember yeah. any of those stretches. I know I saw them <laughs> the last time I saw them play they had 16 shots on goal in the, you know, desperation mode game 7. Uh that's that's getting killed. Like that's playing like shit. Okay. Yes, they did not play well in Game Seven. They had two four nothing losses in this series. I mean, I can go through extended periods of time in this series when the Flyers played well. I, I would love to see the examples of those. Okay. Game. All right. Game one, second period. Game two, the first period, and overtime. Game three, the first period. Game four, the second period. Game. Uh, game five what was game five game five was the first one that went into overtime game five was their best game of the series i think they played well they just gave Mm -hmm. up goals at the end that was that was the one game i think they actually were the on the whole better team than the islanders and that game probably shouldn't went into ot game six the second overtime and then game seven they sucked so yes in my mind there there were there were long periods of time in this series when the flyers looked better so one of the seven games you would say that they were the better team on the, like, Bill, you should know better than when Charlie says, I have receipts to challenge him. <laughs> I, I, he, has, he can say that all he wants. The results were they got fucking killed. My thing is, like, how much does the information that Charles is looking at matter in the playoffs if you're not putting the goal in the net? Like, I understand over long stretches of time in the regular season, these kinds of things matter. But in a seven-game series, I don't give a fuck if you're winning the possession battle if you're not scoring goals because you kind of have to to win the series. Well, I'm not, Char- even talking, I'm not even talking about the possession battle. I mean, in a lot of those periods, the Flyers won the goal battle too. Well, Charlie always does say, like, it's the money ball thing. Like, Billy Bean openly admits, my shit don't work in the playoffs because it's a small sample, you know? Like, they ha- all of a sudden, clutch is a real thing in the playoffs. You have to get it done. They were unable to. For a lot of this series. I mean, in the end, in the playoffs, all that matters is you win. Like, that's why the concept of, like, well, the Montreal series doesn't count because they didn't play well. Like, well, they fucking won, so who cares? The, the, the Islanders series, it's fair to say that who cares? They played well for extended treasures because they lost. Completely true. The job in the playoffs is to win, and they didn't win. But I'm just saying that, like, I don't think this was the utter shellacking that it's being presented by a lot of people. Like, the Islanders were measurably better, but I don't think they dominated the Flyers. No, I I agree with you. Um, I don't think that the Flyers looked like the better team for most of the series, but there were flashes, um, and, and there were, you know, some players that really stood out. The problem is, is that it wasn't the guys that we needed them to. Yeah. The, the problem is, is that the, the two, top two lines, with the exception of maybe, you know, Jake Voracek and, and Giroux and Couturier and Hayes had good moments, but overall, they got their teeth kicked in. Now, the Not guys, the whole team, but 
the guys that we needed to show up didn't. And I'm not even I'm not even touching the defense because the next time I hear Matt Niskanen's name or see his face, I'm going to kick his teeth in. So, <laughs> Yeah, like, the guys making the money are the ones that are expected to do the most. That's how it works. And that was not the case in this. When I'm coming on post-game every night and people are like, oh, man, Tyler Pitlick looked good. I'm like, that means everyone else sucked. Yeah. If Tyler yeah. Pitlick yeah. really stands out, no offense to Tyler Pitlick, but a lot of guys ahead of him have to not stand out for him to really stand out. Yeah, the thing that was really frustrating, and this is why, like, you know, I'm open to, to criticism of a lot of things in in this series and in this playoffs as a whole, but it's the, it's the, the top guys that deserve the most. Like, the thing that blew me away about the Islanders series, and this is why, like, and I think we'll get into critiques of Vino and some are definitely warranted, but this is why, like, I lean more towards blaming the top players than I do Vino because if you look at the way that the Sean Couturier line was used in the Islanders series, they were not used as a line that is centered by a Selkie Trophy-likely winner. They were used as a sheltered line. Basically, what Vino did is he was like, I need to get these guys going, so I'm going to give them every offensive zone faceoff. I'm going to have Couturier play more against Casey Zizekas than he does against Matt Barzell and hope that that, if anything, can get them going. Like, it would be one thing if, if Couturier went head-to-head with Matt Barzell and just lost. And it was like, okay, well, that sucks, but, like, Matt Barzell was playing awesome friggin' hockey, and I guess that's happened sometimes. <laughs> They use the top line in the most favorable situations they could possibly have used them in, and they still didn't do enough. And it was like the coaching staff did everything they could do to get these guys going, and they still couldn't get going. And that's like, it just blows your mind. Like, what the hell was wrong? Have they, did they play the, the dump and chase style all season? They and did. I just didn't pay attention. They did, yeah. I, I did a ton of articles about the fact that they were a dump and chase centric team. Was it as noticeable as it was during the playoffs? Because for some reason, maybe maybe I just had a lobotomy during the, the <laughs> four months that we had off, but I was so pissed off watching them dump the puck into the corner when they when they reached the offensive zone, and then they changed, and nobody had the puck on their stick. It was just hanging out. Well, during you- the regular season, it was working. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and also, sense. I do think that there was a – especially – this happened a lot in the um, – in the games when they were protecting, they were trying to protect leads. Um, I think there was a focus on Vino's part to keep shifts short. So that leads to a lot of dump and change because you dump the puck in and you know, rather than doing a 40 second shift, you're doing a 25 second shift. So you dump the puck in and during the regular season or early in games, you might chase that down, even though you spent some time in your own zone. But when you're protecting a lead, I think Vino's thought was we need, we can't risk these guys getting trapped in the defensive zone and being tired, so just dump and change. I think they did that God. a lot more. It drove me completely batshit. Yeah, that's fair. And completely like, batshit. Like, can somebody, can somebody hold on to possession of this puck for more than a hot fucking second? Unless it was, like, a good rush attempt. Like, every time they were defended a little bit, they coughed up the puck. So they kind of yeah, had true. to dump and change because... Nobody was able to skate through anybody. Islanders, like, fucking, I'm seeing Cal Clutterbuck skate through two, three check attempts. Meanwhile, Travis Konechny gets breathed on, and he's, like, running from the corona. I don't know. 
true. Jesus Christ. I'm just very frustrated with the way a lot of these guys uh, showed themselves in these playoffs. Uh, But... Let's let's talk about regular season success versus the playoff success. Like we just said, the way they played in the regular season was working. Dumping chase early leads to grinding down the defense, and then eventually you're able to make more high skilled plays through the neutral zone, and you get a lot of you get a lot more scoring chances. Why didn't it work in the playoffs? Or is it just everything's like a lot of people were complaining about the Islanders getting away with a ton of obstruction, um, both on their entries and in defense. Is that part of it? It's just the way the game's called in the playoffs. No, I don't think so. That that's a that's an argument that I never really liked because for two reasons. Number one, in this particular series, they were letting a lot go for the Flyers too. So yeah. like it wasn't there. There are some games that I look at and I say, man, the the refs were unfair. You know, one team got screwed. I didn't look at any of these games because obviously we watched the games with with Flyers tinted glasses. But like the Flyers were getting away with a lot of obstruction as well. So I didn't feel like it was unfair. It was just the way the series was being called as a whole. My second reason is simple. Like this is the playoffs. This is what happens. Yeah. Part of winning in the playoffs is adjusting to the fact that the, that the officials, everyone knows this, the officials let more things go. And some teams can adjust better than others. And the Flyers, especially their, their young players, I think, and I think this is where they'll benefit from this experience in the long term, they need to get better at figuring out how to deal with the way the playoffs are called. I, they, they need to get better at it because this isn't going to change. The playoffs are always like this, and they're going to be like this every time the Flyers are trying to make a run. But Travis Sanheim needs to be better. Travis Konechny needs to be better. Like They need to be better at adjusting to the way the playoffs are played. Isn't that kind of like Claude Giroux's been to a Stanley Cup final. Braun to a Stanley Cup final. Vigneault's been to a couple. Uh, Niskanen has a ring. Hayes has yes. been to a conference final. Isn't it their job to be like, get the fuck over it? Yes. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And and I, what I will say, though, is I don't... Watching them, I didn't get the sense that they that their struggles were a result of the obstruction. I got the sense their struggles... And, and I'll, I'll actually leave Hayes out of this because I think Hayes was legitimately good in the um, in, in most of the Islander series. Agreed. And, and, and Voracek was legitimately very good in the Montreal series. Agreed. But, like, for someone like Giroux, like, I didn't watch Giroux and say that, like, he was struggling because he was getting obstructed. He was struggling because he was just struggling. He just couldn't make the passes he normally makes, and he wasn't shooting as well as he normally shoots. Like... Konechny, I watched, and I saw a guy who was getting frustrated with the way the game was being played. Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers during the during the Islanders series, I saw guys who were getting frustrated with the way the games were being played. Guys like Drew and Katuri, I didn't get the sense they were being they were frustrated with the way the games were being played. They just weren't playing well. When three of your top four defensemen are 23, 23, and 24. Maybe, or is it 22, 22, 23? Something under 25. Are they just too young to actually be able to do this thing? You asked that same question last week. I did, and now I want to ask it again. <laughs> I still say no, and I don't think that it's it's age, um, because look at the older guys that were playing defense. They also shit the bed. So I don't think it's got anything to do with age. I think that... 
it has a lot to do with the the circumstances and the I don't want to say system because it was fine. I just think that they had a rough series. Sandheim in particular, I don't understand what the hell happened to that guy. Yeah, he was I, so bad. He was bad, and and I think Myers was worse than a lot of people gave him credit for because I think for a lot of people it got they get stuck in their heads that he scored the game winner in overtime, which like, hey, props to you. That was an awesome friggin' moment. Maybe the you know maybe the the second best moment of the of the playoffs for the Flyers. I would think I would put the. Uh, I think I'd put the the Pro V game winner as the best moment in Game Six, just because of you know Limblom had come back. They were they were on the verge, you know, of getting of, of getting knocked out. That was probably the best moment. But, First multi overtime game in like what twelve years or something? Yeah, since two thousand eight that that Washington series. Um, yeah, I, I remember I, I remember that. I remember watching that game in a in a bar at Kavanaugh's on Penn's campus. It was just, it was funny watching that game and kind of getting the memories of the last time this happened. And Mike Knubel with the winner yeah, in that one. Mike Knubel. All, all the things in my life that have changed since then, it's wild. But anyway, getting getting back to the, the point at hand. Um, shit, where, where was I? Where was I going? <laughs> oh, uh, the young players. Oh, the young players. Yeah, like, I just got the sense that this Islander series was not the kind of series that the current versions of Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers were well-suited to play. And I, I, I'm not, not, you know, dismissing them as players. I think in one or two years, this will be a series that I think they will be well-suited to play. But just this year, you know, with everything that was going on, with, with them still adjusting to, you know, dealing with physical forechecking teams, I just don't think they were ready. To, to thrive in this series. And I don't think it was, an, it was a fact of like, well, they're not clutch because they were freaking awesome against Montreal. But that was a series I think they were well-suited to play. That was a speed and pace series that was all about winning races to loose pucks and effort in the corners and, and paying attention to, to guys trying to, you know, jet out in front of the net and reacting to it. And I think they were well-suited to play that series. Against the Islanders, when they were just going to go in the corner and hit you and hit you and hit you again, and then they were going to forecheck the hell out of you, and they had a coach who was coming up with new ways to confuse young players in terms of you know guys coming in late to attack you on the forecheck. I just don't think those guys were ready for a series like that yet. And as I said, I think they will be at some point, but I just don't think they were ready this year. I think, like, Sanheim and Meyer, they just have growing to do, and I, I think they'll do it. And it's not just this. They have other areas they need to improve on. But those motherfuckers need to move in with Chris Pronger for three months <laughs> and just get berated by a mean old man to toughen them up. Like that, like, they just need to be mean. I would watch that show. It would be an Please. awesome show. Someone do this. <laughs> like Pronger's wife, like, will you just cut them some slack? He's like, no, no. they need it to be men. Like that's I, that's I, the I don't, show I want to watch. I don't think that I don't think that Sanheim is ever going to be mean. I just, I just don't think it's in his personality, and that, that's a, that's the reason why. Like, as much as I really, really like Travis Sanheim, the player, and I do, I'm a big, big Travis Sanheim fan. There's a reason why I've said since the start that I think his ideal role is a, an amazing number three, because I just think there there are holes in his game that are never going to be fully fixed to the point where he's an every night. 24 25 minute top pair top competition defenseman 
I think he's an awesome number three. And I think this series maybe showed, you know, kind of like he's always going to make some really dumb mistakes with the puck sometimes. It's just, that's just part of the, the, the risk of doing business with Travis Sanheim. And it's fine as long as he's not being used against top lines all the time. I just think we're going to have to get used to it. Myers, on the other hand, I think can get mean. And I think Myers can potentially develop into an all-situations top-pair defenseman. This was just his rookie year. He has, still has a lot to learn. Myers been mean. He's been mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, he had that, what, that cross-check to the face of the guy in the Montreal series? Like, yeah, I didn't, didn't like to see it because I don't like to see— yeah, I don't like to see guys like get cross-checked in the face, and eh. I don't like to see Myers take a penalty well, and then it immediately lead to a goal against. But, like, he can be mean. Myers can be a mean guy. Yep. All right, what we're going to do right now is uh, take a quick break, and we will be back on the other side with this uplifting conversation. All right, everybody, we are back, and let's uh, let's keep raining down the positivity. Let's do it. I think everyone's in the mood <laughs> so for that. Good at it. Uh, yeah, just getting back to what Charlie said before the break. Like, uh, I agree. Like, I think Myers has it in him. I just want to see it more. Like, I think he could be that. I don't uh, remember. You remember the draft, uh, the video of, like, the scouts talking, and they were comparing Samuel Moran and Darnell Nurse going into the draft. And it was like, yo, if Nurse was there, would they still have taken Moran? Because, oh and obviously this thing is edited after the fact, but they're like, you know, Moran, he'll put a stick in your teeth. I don't know if Darnell Nurse has that in him. And it was like, well, do we really? But, like, I don't know. I kind of like that about Myers, like Charlie was saying. I just need a little bit more of that. I don't need... Travis Sandheim to be like Shea Weber or Drew Doughty where it's like, yeah, he might kick you. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't need that. Just like push back a little. Fight back, dude. Punch somebody once. Let's start fucking around and calling Phil Myers the next Chris Pronger. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just really get He's tall that. enough, I guess. He's tall. He's yeah, mean. I mean he's he plays Pron- defense. Yeah, Pronger's, right, so, what, 6'6", six, six, Myers 6'5", six, it's close. Yeah, Obviously, the young players just need to mature a bit. Obviously, the the veterans need to just show up. <laughs> How do they All move up? All we need is, is your eyes to be open and your brain working at the same time. <laughs> That's it. How do they move up to this next tier? Are they... You know, I think they're really close. I really do. They just... Steph, uh, close only counts in certain things. That's all. I know. I know. And I I, I think that they're really close. If Travis Konechny had his head out of his ass, um, it, it would probably be a different series just with... That one player. When he made fun um, of the dude's teeth, I thought that was it. That was good. I thought that was there. like, okay, I Travis thought, is thought, back. I did think that that was going to be the start of the the Travis Konechny domination. And he did make a not, couple of nice plays, but not nearly enough. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, these both of these series were so close. Whether they deserve to be or not, the Flyers are not that far away from competing with, you know, the Lightning and the Golden Knights, which is a completely different tune to what I was singing come November, December of of last year. If you recall, 
um, I, and I do vividly. I, I was saying that this is the, the same old flyers that was under Dave Hackstall, the same lackadaisical bullshit. The, the power play couldn't get their, their God, the power play. Um, couldn't, couldn't get anything working, but the penalty kill looked good. Th that's not what this Flyers team is. And I, I believe that this is the conversation that you're, you're trying to direct us towards. I, I think that they're a lot closer to competing with the Bostons and the, I don't want to say the Blues because I'm not really sure they're that good, but the, the juggernauts, they're not that far away. So here's the thing. If, if our good players were actually good, like we, that's the next level. Like all they had to do was play well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the next level. Like the Flyers aren't far away at all. They just completely shit the bed in the playoffs. All right. Yeah. I, I understand Travis Konechny is young, so it's not nearly enough uh, to judge him Oscar by. Oscar Lindblom just came back from cancer for yeah, fuck's sure. sake. He looks good. We'll have and, and he looks yeah, good. he looks fine. <laughs> I, I understand. Like if Nolan Patrick ever turns into anything, if Lindblom picks up where he left off, if Morgan Frost is what we think he is, all these things, but like. I don't know. Sean Couturier's been hurt three playoffs in a row. Claude Giroux doesn't perform as well as he does in the regular season in the playoffs. These are all things that I'm going to assume are going to continue to happen. So how do they take that next step if it's like, well, we're just waiting on these guys? Well, how how long can we wait? Yeah, I don't think that's fair. Um, it's not, but it's what happened. Well, <laughs> I mean, at least he acknowledges it's okay. not fair. Well, it's just that life isn't to, fair. To, to me, it's it, the playoffs, and this is something that I think Flyers fans are going to have to come to grips with because they haven't had to for the last eight years because the team has just not been good. Um, this is kind of what happens in the playoffs. You, know, you, you put together the best possible team. Yeah. You go into game one, and you cross your fingers that everybody plays well. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Like, there, there are so many examples of players who one year are really good in the playoffs— and the next year aren't that good. Like, basically, the, the whole point of building a good team, a sustainably good team, is that you get a ton of cracks at this thing. And you just, all you can really do is build a good team, a sustainably good team, and just keep on taking shots until finally one of these years, everything comes together for you. Like, look at the Blues. The Blues, for years, were the playoff underachiever. And then finally, it just clicked. And, like, that's the thing. Like, you're not going to have – does it suck that Sean Gattari has been hurt for the last three playoffs? Yeah. Do I think that means he's going to be hurt in the next playoffs? No. It just sucks that he got hurt in three straight playoffs. And, and going back to Claude Drew, I know that people are going to rip me for this. But, like, I don't think that the fact that he has been underachieving in the last few playoffs – that doesn't tell me that he's destined to underachieve in the next playoffs. One of these playoffs, he's going to be good again, I think. I just I don't know which one it's going to be, and it sucks just, that he hasn't. How do has you depend it. on that? You don't I don't think my point is I don't think you necessarily are depending on anyone. You are depending upon the team. You're depending upon the team that you build. And however that team does it is one way or another. Like Drew next playoff could be great and Provorov could suck. Or maybe Couturier's great and Hart sucks. Like, you just, you don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs, so all you can do is build a good team and then roll the dice and hope it comes up good. Like, and I think the Flyers are well-positioned to build a good team for the next five, six, seven years, 
And all you can do at that point is hope that the guys show up. And, and I think I think they will because I think they're good enough, but it's always possible they won't because the playoffs are weird. And that's what I'm getting at. They're in position to build a good team, but they're not there yet to be good enough to compete to get to conference finals on a consistent basis. How do they get there? And that's where I want to start with how much different do you see this team looking next year? We know Braun is an unrestricted free agent, probably won't be back. The deadline guys, Grant and Thompson, UFAs, probably won't be back. Uh, mm-hmm. Pitlick's probably the only guy with a chance in the unrestricted group to return. Maybe Brian Elliott? I don't know. I think I think those two guys, I mean, I, I haven't really dove into like having my conversations with like people who would be able to give me more of an understanding one way or the other whether these things are likely to happen just because I've been busy with the playoffs. But my read on the situation currently is that I think they will bring Brian Elliott back because I think they know that tandem works and Elliott didn't get hurt this year, so the injury concerns are a little bit less than they were last summer. And I think they're going to try to bring Pitlick back because I think they like him. I think they like the way he fits in the system. And I think because of the way that this offseason is going to be with a lot of guys on the the lower class getting squeezed because of the stagnant cap, I don't think Pitlick's going to get a big offer from someone else, so I think he'll be able to be re-signed relatively reasonably. Those are the two guys that I think could be back i braun i was on the fence about but because of the stagnant cap and because of the fact that he just didn't look that good in the playoffs i think he might be gone um but pitlick and elliott are the guys i think i think have a good chance of coming back so let's say it's pitlick and elliott they need restricted deals with myers haig patrick and nak uh they are getting radko's uh retained salary off the books but all in all, for the, all these moves, they have about $9 million in cap space, which doesn't seem like enough to add what they need to add to get to the next tier, uh, considering all their own you know, in-house pieces they need to keep. How do they get to the next step? It seems like a foregone conclusion that Shane Gosper is getting traded, right? Like I figure if coaching staff didn't see fit to use him in this series with how it was going, like... What are we doing with him here for? Like, we can clear off, what, like, four and a half million just by yeah. trading him for picks or I, something? I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think that that's another Twitter thing. But you are right. Like, he was scratched during the season. He was scratched during the playoffs. I don't know. With Braun gone? I just think, I, like, I don't if, know. if they didn't play him in that Islander series when they were desperate for goal scoring and the power play looked like ass and they couldn't get anything done, when are they ever going to play him? Yeah, I I don't know if he's definitely going to get traded, but I I think the stagnant cap might force their hand a bit because I my 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 understanding of the Shane Gosbear situation basically from the start was that the Flyers were certainly open to trading him, but they were not putting pressure on themselves that they had to and I think that would that was my disagreement with um with the people who were like they're definitely going to trade Shane Gosper and they could trade Shane Gosper but there was never in my mind a ton of urgency it was very much like we're not going to force ourselves into making a bad Shane Gosper trade because we feel like we have to trade him we will trade him but you damn well better pay him, pay us what 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 we believe he's worth as a player. We're not going to sell low on him. Well, the stagnant the stagnant cap makes things tougher 
because as you said, Bill, if you want to make improvements, you got to clear space. And that's why, I mean, the two guys you're looking at right now in terms of guys who could be moved to clear space to make, to give the Flyers the opportunity to make additions are Shane Gossibar and James Van Riemsdyk. They are. They're the ones that stand out because they're the guys who, you know, like, talking, we'll first start with Shane Gossibar. He's a good player. I, I do believe that. I do believe that in another situation, he could succeed. I believe in this situation, he could succeed. That said, the Flyers currently have Provorov, Sanheim, and Myers. That's your that's your young core on defense. I don't think Gospier is on their level anymore. You've got guys like Zamula and Cam York that are coming. And if you want to fit those guys, I don't really know long-term where Goss' bear fits on this defense. I just, I don't know. Like, they're both lefties. They're both a little bit more offensively oriented. Like, they, over time, can take Goss' bear's spot. So, if you're looking at the future and you're saying, like, I don't know where Shane Goss' bear fits on this team in 2022, it makes some sense to just kind of get out in front of that and get something for him now before there's really no spot for him. Now, as for um, as for JV, JVR, it's kind of a similar thing. Where like I think he's a good player. I think his his season this year was better than a lot of people thought because he was an amazing play driver and he actually scored quite well at five on five. He just for whatever reason sucked on the power play. But like you're getting Limblom back now. You know James Van Reems like is a natural left winger. On the depth chart, you have Giroux, Lindblom, and Joel Farabee are basically natural left wingers. Like, I don't know if James Van Reems like fits in this lineup anymore. And he's got a $7 million cap it. So, like, if you want to make additions, Ghost and JVR are the guys that you maybe try to move to be able to make additions of players that maybe fit this lineup better. We need to hold on to JVR so that we have the privilege of giving a first-round pick to the Seattle Kraken so they take him. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. Uh, who but the, is but the, just, those those are the guys. Those are the guys that I think because I agree yeah. you don't have the cap space to make big additions. No, it's it's very clear that they have to one of those two if they're going to make some sort of move have to be part of a trade or a separate trade to clear space. Though one of those two at least have to be moved out. Real quick before we move on, who's the number six next year if uh, if Ghost is traded? Freeman. Okay. Samuel Moran. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff with the line of the week. (laughs) I would love nothing more. I would love fucking Sam Moran on this team just bruising dudes left and right. But, like, that just isn't going to happen. I got as much (sighs) chance of suiting up as as Samuel Moran does. It it would make me so happy just because, like, he's had a real rough career. No, it's, uh, you know... The next yeah. pronger to a bust to, oh, it's finally his chance three years in a row when he gets hurt. Like, it's been rough for him. Yeah. I would no, love I, to I, see it. No, I, I think that, I mean, and it's possible the Flyers go out and get another defenseman this, this summer. Maybe, you know, in a ghost trade, he brings back another defenseman. But they believe that Mark Friedman is NHL ready, and the only reason why he wasn't in the NHL is just because there wasn't a spot there for him. seven defensemen already. Yeah, like, at, th- at this point, I'm... My chalk, like my chalk pick for like what the defense looks like to start next year is Provi Niskanen, Sanheim Myers, 
Hague Friedman, and then you have Zamula, who I think will take a run at making the team in camp, and even if he doesn't, I believe he plays with the team next year. Oh, now oh, you're I talking my him. language. I love it. All right, so um, Carter Hart. 936 save percentage against Montreal, two shutouts. He was easily the Flyers' best player in that series. 905 save percentage versus the Islanders. He did have three overtime wins, including that great double overtime uh, victory. Uh, He was honestly probably still the Flyers' best player against the fucking Islanders, as sad (laughs) as that is. Assess his playoff run. It was up and down, but overall encouraging, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the, his performance in the Islander series wasn't great. He had a couple of clunkers in there, some but, soft goals for sure. But his team gave him zero goal support, so I, I don't even want to talk. Yeah, it seems. I thought he let up more soft goals, honestly, against Montreal. Even though, like, those were the only ones that went in. I don't know. I would give him either an A minus or a B plus. Which is really good. He's 22. Yeah, I actually, I'd, I'd give him an A for the playoffs. Yeah. And that's in in large part because I don't think, I don't think the save percentage against the Islanders is a accurate reflection of how he played. It is not. No, no, it's not. Because if you, if you actually go into advanced metrics, like the, my, my stat that I use is goals saved above expectation um, in the Islanders series. Carter Hart saved more goals than he was expected to save. Like, his save percentage looks bad, but that's because the Islanders the Islanders were very good in that series of creating dangerous chances. Hart had to face a lot of tough shots. Like, Varlamov and Grice had to face a lot of easy shots, which is part of the reason why their save percentages look great. Hart faced a lot of tough chances. So, like, yeah, his save percentage may have been 905, but if you look at, like, what his expected save percentage was based on the shots he was facing, it was probably, like, about 900. Yeah. Like, he was ob- he was objectively better in the Montreal series, without a doubt. Yeah. But I think he was still above average in the Islanders series. I just think that the save percentage is misleading because of how many quality chances he was being forced to stop against the Islanders. Oh, I agree. Natural stat trick has the count at high danger chances, 114-76 in favor of the Isles. Like, they were in the offensive zone buzzing about, and there was a lot of, like, not even the scoring chances, just high-stress situations. Like I said, every time... The Bar- Barzell and Lee were on the ice together. It was, all right, here's Barzell carrying it around, moving around the zone. Lee is in front of him, re- creating havoc. Oh, they got it back to the point. Let's see what happens. Oh, there's a rebound because there's two guys in front. Like, it was high leverage, to say the least. Yeah, I, I think he was – I think Hart was great. I think on the whole he was great. My, my one – the one thing I will say that, like – why I, I'm okay with the idea of giving him an A- minus is that he wasn't good in Game 7, and that stunk. Yeah, and, and that's not, I mean, that's not bad. It's not a bad grade. A lot, I, if I'm grading the Flyers, a lot of them got Fs. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a, like, a lot of them failed. So, it, even if Carter Hart like- was uh, above and beyond what I expected to see from him in his first playoff appearance. He was so good. Whether they won or not, it, it, it just... It cemented for me that this is the future and this is what we can look forward to. He's only going to get better. If we're going to make a list of guys who weren't great in Game 7, like, sure, Hart's on it, but (laughs) 
I don't get to him in the first half of the list. It's just the roster. It's the full yeah, roster. Yeah, no, and <laughs> goalies are listed at the bottom, so guess what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's... He, he gave them a chance to win every game. There weren't any games that he was the reason that they lost, and that's all you really need from your goalie in the playoffs if you're going to choose to score goals, which the Flyers Yeah, that's one of the reasons why this this the way this playoff run played out does really disappoint me because they wasted Carter Hart. Like if you have a goalie that's playing as well as Carter Hart played in these in these playoffs, like this doesn't happen every year. Yeah. And, and like with Hart, I think Hart's a great goalie and I think Hart is going to have many more great regular seasons and many more great playoffs. But I also think that because he's a goalie, he's going to have some playoffs where he sucks. Because guess what? Every goalie has playoffs where they suck. And it sucks that they wasted one of his really good ones. And, like, I know it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but on that ELC, it's like having the quarterback on the rookie contract. Yeah, like fair. You're able to bring in before the season two veteran defensemen. Now, how much they helped you in the playoffs, debatable, but you're able to do <laughs> that. Like, you're able to go get a Kevin Hayes. JVR and Ghost are luxuries that you're able to afford this year that in the future you won't, you know, it's just one of them things. It's a disappointment. All right, Elaine, speaking of disappointment, um, Elaine Vigneault. You know. I love the guy. I, I, will, I will accept very little slander, but there is some criticism. Um, man, he needs to hit on some of them challenges, right? Those Jeez. were hilarious. Like, in hindsight, <sighs> hilarious. Yeah, so I did, I, I did a big piece on this. Uh, there I was that was released yesterday and the challenges like I will I will say that the one in game five where Barzell just refused to get out of the crease I'm cool with that challenge it could have went either way like it was ridiculous that like yeah Barzell was knocked in there but like he wasn't leaving he was held he held on to the crossbar yeah like that that's, was that's, actually that's legitimate bullshit. yeah that was bullshit the other two especially the game six one yikes fucking yikes and like i understand the desperation of like coaches only get to do so much once the puck drops you can shuffle your lines you can tell the guys what to do you can call a timeout you can change your goalie and that's about it the the team i understand the desperation of wanting to do something because your team isn't doing it but sometimes it's like ugh. That's just life, I guess. We got to deal with it. And he put them in some situations that I guess could have been avoided. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually, I'm curious to hear Kelly's thoughts on this because oh. Kelly, I think, was the most critical of Elaine Vigneault and his performance in the playoffs. So I want to hear where your mind's at right now with Elaine uh, now that the playoffs are over. So reading your article, actually, the way that you summed it up, summed it up quite well in that he given the opportunity to make a choice between doing something exciting and risky and doing something boring and conservative he went with boring and conservative every single time and it was frustrating because not only was it boring and conservative it also didn't work and the fact that it didn't work basically the entire playoff but he kept doing it is what was frustrating like I love the idea of rolling four lines. 
in the playoffs if you've got four skilled lines. If one of your lines is Nate Thompson, maybe we don't roll four lines. Like, maybe you shorten your bench in game seven. Like, why am I looking at Nate Thompson in a game seven situation for more than five minutes? I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, like, I, I was frustrated because he was such a good coach in the regular season. And the way that the Flyers played was so good in the regular season. And to the eye, it seemed like he just did a complete 180 in the playoffs, which, by the way, is something that a lot of Vancouver and Rangers fans were in my mentions telling me that that's exactly what he does. He does one thing in the regular season and then completely changes it in the playoffs. And what we saw was playoff AV, and that scares me a little bit because I want this to be a perennial playoff team. And if he's going to do this every year, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't. I agree with like 98% of what you just said. The the 2% is that he did do some aggressive things, like pulling the goalie very early. They just didn't work. Yeah. And the the team like he can't make them score goals. No, I know. Like he can't make them score goals. And I also I agree on the Nate Thompson thing to a point. Um but he, Nate Thompson wasn't the problem. No, I know I know that, but I don't understand. I don't know that I've ever experienced watching the Flyers in the playoffs in an elimination or a, a late game where you're trying to tie up or get the lead. The coach not short his bench at all. Yeah, no, totally. I, I don't get I don't get that at all. And no again, Kelly, like I get wanting to shorten the bench, but the guys you're gonna shorten it for have to give you a reason to. Fair. That's fair. fair. That's totally fair. But on the other hand, the more minutes they play, the better they, the more chances they're going to get and the better that they're going to perform because their head is more in the game. Or the more burnt they're going to be in the third period. No, I'm talking about like in the third period. Yeah. In a tie game or a game where you're down one or, or something like that. Like it, it was very jarring to me to not see him at least try. Okay, I get it. Travis Konechny is scoring goals. He's more likely to do it than the fourth line. So maybe you put him out there a whole bunch of times and maybe just maybe he gets lucky. That makes more sense to me than continuing to roll out four lines when your fourth line, their only goal is to not get scored on. Like you need to score a goal. You can't just not get scored on anymore. So there's there's a lot of things that Vino did in these playoffs that I don't think are going to be recurring problems. Like I do, I think that a lot of the stylistic changes that they made were made because the big guns couldn't do shit. And it was like, well, okay, I guess we got to win this way because we can't win the way we, we would like to win. So I do think a lot of those things are not going to recur. I do think the rolling of four lines, that might just be something we have to get used to mm-hmm. because he does that. He did that in New York. He did that in Vancouver. Like Vino's belief is that right or wrong, the style that he wants his teams to play does not stay viable if he's loading up the minutes on his big guys. He doesn't think that his big guys, number one, he doesn't think that his big guys can sustain it if they're playing that much. And number two, he doesn't think that like the attacking in wave style works unless every line is getting a chance to kind of keep their feet wet and stay in the game. So like, there are a lot of things I don't think are going to recur necessarily with Vino in the playoffs. That is something that I do think is going to recur because I think it's an inherent part of the way he looks at the way his teams have to play to succeed. And, and like, those, I'm fine those... with that if 
the fourth line is good. That's totally fair. That's and totally that's fair. that's a that's a construction issue. He has to put the line together once the GM gives him the pieces. But it's also a construction issue. Here's what I'll say: Like I know Vancouver and New York fans are gonna be a little bitter because those teams didn't finish, but like it worked in the playoffs for them. They fair. all had multiple good playoff runs. Like Vancouver got to hear. a Game 7 overtime in the Stanley Cup Final. That's legitimately as close as you can come to winning. That has nothing to do with the coach. Well, I don't ever want to hear from Rangers fans about Vigneault. I don't ever want to hear from them <laughs> about this particular coach. Or really about anything in general, but <laughs> it, about this particular coach. Because they just feel like the most jilted scorned ex-husband of whatever. Like, they're they, a little they just... After the New York-LA series, they changed the rules on goalie interference. Like, I, you know, they got pretty fucking close. I, I, it, I, just, I don't ever... I, I believe the Vancouver fans and what they say. I don't ever believe anything that Rangers fans say about Vigneault. Yeah, and just to just to make a, a point of clarification, Bill, they didn't get to Game Seven overtime in Vancouver. They got blown out in Game Seven. I believe they got to overtime, and I think it was Game Five of the final. That's game with the Seven Rangers. was that fucking beatdown, right? Yeah, they yeah they they got blown out by Boston, but they I, that the series that they played the Kings. I think there were like three overtime games, and I think they lost all three or something like that. Yeah. And then the clincher was Game Five, and that game went into overtime. So like your your overall point is right that like teams went pretty damn far. Uh, but I, th- I just wanted to correct that because I know people will give you shit for it. I don't care if they do. <laughs> I can just make things up. It doesn't matter. All right, real quick, because I know we're already over an hour. Uh, the, the final four here, Isles, Lightning, Stars, Knights. Are the Stars really this good? That's my only, that's like my whole take. Are, are the Stars really this good? Like, obviously, uh, Heiskanen's far further along than I thought he was. Uh, that they have a good blue line there, but are the stars really this good? Eric's been telling us they are. I, guess I don't. I, I will. I will never believe in the stars just because I picked them to to make noise in the playoffs for so many years, and they're not going to beat the Golden Knights. I, I just can't imagine a world where that happens. Part of me they're is good. really rooting for an Isles Stars final just to oh god, just to say this one doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The- I don't know. The, the stars are good. I, I think what's interesting about the stars is that they like, and I agree with Steph. I don't think they're going to beat the the Golden Knights, but they basically changed their entire style of play in the playoffs. Like, stars fans fucking hated the stars going into these playoffs. They yeah. couldn't score. They were boring as shit. Like, yeah, they had some good players, but they they kind of entered the playoffs as something of a dumpster fire. And then when the playoffs started. They suddenly started playing offense and playing offense really well. And I don't know how that happened. <laughs> like, it's not being driven entirely by Ben and Sagan, which is surprising to me. Was Jim Montgomery stole? This is what happened. They stole the soul of the Flyers. They switched. Uh, okay. That's what happened, guys. Okay. Was Jim Montgomery's resignation and that whole thing this season? Yes. Holy I know, shit! It, this it, has it been feels a long like year. three years ago. It's because it's been such a long year. But uh, yeah, that this was has this been season. a long fucking year. Uh, Isles Knights. Did the Isles have any shot? Yeah, they have a shot, but I don't think they're going to win. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't think they're as bad as they were in Game One because I think that was just a, a perfect storm of you know the travel and the the 
the fact they played Game 7 and everything like that. But, I mean, the Lightning are better. Charlie, they better not be as bad as they were in Game 1, because if they are, we the Flyers are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never hear the end of it. That'll ever. Be, I just mean, like, they're not good. <laughs> so, I have to believe the Isles are much better, but... Man, the Lightning just seem to be on kind of a mission here. That's all right. They'll choke again. Even though they don't have Stamkos, noted playoff choker. Yeah, that's why they're going to win. No, he How just goes no. on great early. will it be if they win the cup without him? That- no, watch. He'll come back for the cup final, and they'll, they'll <laughs> lose. And they'll lose to the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, the Golden Knights. Yeah, we'll see. Golden Knights are chokers, too. No, they're not. Ah. They, what if they, they ever they won? won? They blew what, a three a three one lead against the against the Sharks last year. Yeah, the, the Sharks, like, the, 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 the preeminent playoff chokers. Then they took their coach. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. that'll work. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, is that it? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's probably. All right. I mean, I'm sure we could talk about more, but I think we've talked about enough. Okay. <laughs> We'll be back with another episode at some time or another. But that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. And after you do that, rate and review us. It's worth doing. Thank you all for listening. Uh, My name is Bill Matz. For Charlie, for Kelly, for Steph, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!